the more I did research and on addiction and the more I worked on myself, I realized I don't know what my dad's upbringing was at all. And the, I asked certain questions, not entirely, but a little bit to my mother. And my dad's father wasn't in the picture, rarely. And, you know, like they say, a lot of this is generational. And that's why I, along with everyone I coach, I want us to be stop that generational because we don't know. Like, I didn't know what my father went through. Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you tuned in today to listen. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing with you guys the story of my new friend, Janelle Gorman, she will be sharing the story. I'll just be listening as well with you all. Uh, Janelle Gorman is a fatherless daughter, grief and transformation coach, and we met through Instagram. Um, she actually listened to another one of the episodes, and uh, that's how we connected. So I'm so uh, excited to have you on the episode today. Hello, thank you, Janelle. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Kendra, thank you so much for having me today. I'm Super so glad excited. Yeah, so, so when as, we spoke before, oh, sorry, let me just, when we spoke oh, before, you were in sunny Florida, and then uh, when we were I just about to meet, and now you're in chilly, chilly Boston, <laughs> chilly New England. So what's the temperature right now there? Actually, this is the last nice day, so it's about 79 degrees, so I'm taking nice. advantage. So we're, we're still, yeah, early, we're, we're recording this in early October, so it's still Still nice and chill. Okay, so tell us a little bit about you. So you live in New England, and mm -hmm. tell the listeners a little bit about who Janelle is. Of course. So I grew up in New England, born and raised. My name is Janelle Gorman. I currently am a fatherless daughter, grief and transformation coach. I help fatherless daughters heal their abandonment wounds that their fathers had left them or what they had felt their fathers had caused internally. I work with daughters who have lost their father to death, have their fathers in their life, but they're just not emotionally present for them, and those who never had a father in their life at all. I started my um, coaching because I unfortunately lost my father at the age of nine and I pent up all that pain and just numbed it for over 16 years until one day I just couldn't take it anymore and I had to get the help I needed. So my goal is to prevent my clients from getting to that breaking point because it was so crucial. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, so nine years old is when your dad died and prior Correct. to that too you had mentioned to me when we spoke your parents were divorced so you were also 
Your dad didn't live with you when you were little either, right? No. So my parents got divorced when I was three, and then my dad had moved an hour and a half away up to Laconia, which was an awesome spot to hang out, and it was super fun. There was always great activities going around. But given the fact that it was so far away, it did make that abandonment wound feel even worse, even though I was seeing him every other weekend. Mm -hmm. So at three, that happens, and at nine, he dies. And take us a little bit about that because um, you then were, were you the only daughter? No, so it's me and my sister. It's me and my sister Mm -hmm. and my brother, but of my dad, it's me and my sister. So backwards a little bit, as funny as, like not funny, but I was actually talking with my mother yesterday about um, how I had lost my dad. And she reminded me that two weeks prior to losing my dad, is when my stepdad and my mom separated. Oh, wow. Yes. And I said, oh, my goodness. I blocked that out. I didn't even, like, think of the time frame. Mm-hmm. So I've had, like, so three abandonment wounds since three, age nine. Yeah. So mm-hmm. two men, technically, but three different instances. Your dad when you were three, then your stepdad two weeks prior to your dad, then dying. Um, and you mm-hmm. prefer the word passing? And in passing, either or refer to him. Okay. Or, or died. Not. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm, um, uh, send, you know, that I'm mm-hmm. uh, in tune with the same language of you course. like to use for it. So, um, so then you're nine years old, you're around what, fifth grade. You mm-hmm. lived with your mom at that time. You would see your dad at nine, at the age of nine, you would still see your dad every other week and as well. Well, up until he passed away, yes. So okay. from three, to nine, I was seeing him every other weekend. So then how did your life change at that point then? And what do you remember? Because as you said, you blocked then, you blocked the part of even your parent, or your mom and your stepdad separating. What things do you remember? So I do remember that I was constantly afraid that something was going to happen to my dad. And I would call him like every single day. And this I didn't is when they realize- were divorced. When they divorced or, okay, okay. When they were divorced and I was still seeing him every other weekend, I think I still had some fear within, or I could, my intuition was so strong as we know as kids, Mm -hmm. I think our intuit, we can pick up more until we're, unless like once we're adults, it's harder for us to pick up because we have all this stuff in our head. But as children, we just feel at that moment. So I think what I was feeling was a lot of something was going to happen And surely enough, my dad had passed away. Um, I was told by my mother it was a heart attack up until I was 18. I thought it was a couple years later my mom had told me how my dad had passed away. But I just spoke with her a couple days ago, and it was 18, she told me. So from 9 to then 18, you Mm -hmm. thought it was something, and at 18 is when you really found out. Yeah, that it was a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. My, my dad was such a great guy. He, We had so much fun. He was such a great dad. So I obviously I had no idea as a child until I found that out. Um, thankfully, I, I didn't feel any resentment towards my mom for holding out that long. Realistically, if I was in that situation with my daughter or my future daughter, I wouldn't mm-hmm. really know how to exactly – what the right steps are and what the wrong steps are. So she just did the best she could. So I totally, I'm very grateful for that, that she was there for me throughout that hard time being a single mother. 
Just, yeah. So you, the only help you received at that time was really just her support. You didn't, did you see a therapist? Did you yes, have a counselor actually, at school or what other things did you do? At three years old, I dealt with so much regression. My mother had said due to my mother and father's divorce that she put me to see a therapist at three. So I've been with a therapist all my life. I'm so pro therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I just like someone talking. Like I like just like someone hearing me out. <laughs> yeah. Who so doesn't? Since the age of three, you were already yeah with play therapists at that age. Then, then mm-hmm. dealing with that, and then at nine, then you're still the same therapist that you saw at three. Was yes. the one that was seeing you at nine? Okay. Yep. And then uh, my my mom did have me go to like some support groups, which were nice that I vaguely remember. And in school, I didn't get any help. I mean, I believe maybe a guidance counselor, but they don't have, I don't think they have the resources that they should have for the, for kids who lose their parents and especially so young. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so many things in school revolve around activities that have to do like with parents like exactly. oh we're gonna father's do an art day. project exactly father's like, day or or donuts with dad day. exactly yeah. or donuts with dad today or this <laughs> and it just automatically is an opportunity to make sometimes kids that don't have that figure in their life that parent that particular parent figure in their life because it can happen with in marriages also that are maybe of two moms or two dads you know what I mean like in, exactly. in, in all the different kind of dynamics that families mm. are or single parents you know um, to feel, feel kind schools, of left out. Yeah, I feel schools need to be more sensitive on that topic mm-hmm. because not every like statistically, what I've researched and read upon and everything and studied, a lot of people are single mothers, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So schools need to like be aware that it's not the whole cookie cutter family all the time. Exactly. I just think they should take those out altogether. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> Yeah, no, because it does. It does make it very. It makes it really hard for for the kids that that are going through that situation. So, do you remember conversations with your friends or things like that at school of when your dad died, like how you felt at school or with your peers and your sister? You had mentioned your sister's older than you, right? My sister, yes. Me, my, well, my brother, like I said, is from a different father, yes. but we're all five years apart. But me and my okay. sister, five year, five years apart. Mm-hmm. So then she, she, her way of dealing with grief was very different than, yeah, than yours. But do you remember if you were able to talk to her about your grief? Do you remember any of that? No, I was not. Not that I, she wouldn't have allowed it, but no, I never spoke with her about my grief. So everything's pretty much a blur from nine to about 18 then? Or when do you think that? things started to come up and resurface. So tell us a little bit about when you started to know that there were these scars or wounds, basically, that were there from that experience. And how yeah. did it kind of show up in your life? Of course. So I would say high schools to college to up until just a couple of years ago, I was acting out and I thought, oh, this is me partying. I mean, I'm young. I'm in high school. I'm in college. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? But I was like very promiscuous. I was acting out with um, drinking and I had this attachment issue or not issue, but problem. My personal problem is I would get so attached so quick to people when I didn't even or barely knew them. And I always wondered, I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm just a, 
I fall fast. I'm just a big lover. But the more I did more research now, especially, it's such an eye opener. I'm like, oh my goodness. The reason why I attract and it was attached to people so quickly was my father abandonment wound. I didn't want people to leave me and I'm so used to people leaving me. So I thought if I just clench on to people that they won't leave me. And surely enough, they always left. But why? Because it wasn't even the right person. Mm-hmm. So on top of drinking, acting out, getting in trouble um, with the police, nothing crazy, but my mom, I give her kudos for putting up with me. <laughs> and then, so I realized the more research I did growing and healing with all my father's passing, I realized that all of me acting, all of my acting out actions was all just resurfacing from the pain I had within me. Mm. Mm-hmm. When you were, when when you realized that was it your therapist that allowed you to see that or was it you coming into that realization? And I know that sometimes with therapists, like they just sometimes just guide you, and then you're the one that sometimes comes up with the assessment. As what happens sometimes, you know, with coaches too, right? Sometimes it's just the aspect that somebody's there to listen you out that you come up with your own assessment of situations, but. How, how did that realization come to be? Yeah, so I think therapists definitely planted the seed. Mm-hmm. But after I got out of a relationship last December, which was one of the toughest relationships, like toughest breakups I've ever endured, I want to say it was worse than my father's passing. As crazy as that sounds, but that's literally how I felt. And maybe because I was so young when my father passed that – feeling this breakup now just felt so much worse. I had a therapist who I was with during this relationship and seeing, and she had planted seeds of saying that a lot of my acting out and being with others who were unavailable. Oh, that's another thing I used to do a lot is being with emotionally unavailable people, people who aren't even available for themselves. And when they left me, I felt abandoned. But in the end, it's they can't even be there for themselves. How do I expect them to be there for me? Mm-hmm. But like I had said, I went through such a bad breakup and being left and abandoned and so many broken promises. I was so broken inside that I was suicidal at one point. I didn't want to be here. The only reason I was going to work and working was because I had to pay my bills. Other than that, I don't know where I would have been. And my therapist had constantly was mentioning to me about this place in Arizona called The Meadows. It's in Wickenburg, Arizona. And it was a significant amount of money. It was about, I want to say $7,000 for five days. And me thinking, I'm like, uh, I've never really invested much on myself other than therapy. I'm like, that's a lot of money to spend for five days to hope mm. it works. But once I was in that mind state that I don't didn't know what to do, it was sink or swim mentality. It was either I'm not going to be here tomorrow or next week. Unless I get this certain help, I jumped on a plane, went to Arizona, paid the money because I needed help so much. Like I needed dire help. And I went the five days and did a ton of psychotherapy one-on-one with a therapist there. And wow, I will tell you, it was a game changer. It opened so many avenues of my inner child, why I did certain things 
that I did and we did exercises of all the things that we acted out because of that abandonment wound. So it was a lot of my therapists. I give them so much credit. And top my current therapist, my therapist at the Meadows. And then on top of that, I just stuck with the reading and reading books and stuff on abandonment and inner child. So it all just came together. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, what, when you're sa- what you said about that, when you find out the price, you know, the sticker price syndrome, oh, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay that? I'm like, I worked then- so hard for this money in real estate. <laughs> yeah. Why am I going to just throw $7,000 for five days? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, in that moment, you knew it was, it was that or your, or maybe not even your life, right? It was that or, or your life would probably not even be have continued probably to some extent because yeah of or I would have continued yeah and I would have very con- broken way yeah exactly exactly and my it's thing, an investment it's an investment in life a lot of those things that we do and when we pay it's like seeing that's an investment not as oh, spending is. right yeah but sometimes you need to do that for yourself if you why continue living a life that you know you don't deserve mm-hmm. other like and go get the help you need even with my clients, it's some things can be big investments, but like I'm there helping you and I want you to succeed and I, I want to heal you just like I healed myself. And a lot of people I see live in so much pain from their father's passing or mother's passing or just a loved one's spouse's passing that they don't do anything about the pain. Instead, they just harbor it and numb it within, but it's going to resurface whether it's a year from now 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the majority of the time you're going to end up with a mental breakdown that could have been resolved or healed along the way if you addressed your feelings within. Absolutely. And do you, do you see, and as it, in terms of the compassion component that comes from the fact of where you were with your own wounds and, Mm -hmm. um, and that child, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the child within aspect, do you now, see that in your dad too and we don't have to go into details but is there like an aspect of you thinking well my dad was just a kid that was hurting too and had Mm. unresolved things as well uh and that's why his life went in the direction it went Mm. that was a great question yes I did when I was at the meadows and just now I look I have so much compassion for what happened at first I thought he had chose drugs over me. And this is when I was younger, like maybe when I was 18, I found out. But the more I've done, re- the more I did research in, on addiction, and the more I worked on myself, I realized I don't know what my dad's upbringing was mm-hmm. at all. And the, I asked certain questions, not entirely, but a little bit to my mother. And my dad's father wasn't in the picture, rarely. And, you know, like they say, a lot of this is generational. And that's why I, along with everyone I coach, I want us to be stop that generational because we don't know. Like, I didn't know what my father went through. I can't blame him for using drugs and then getting stuck in this. I personally think addiction is a sickness. I know everyone has their own views upon it. But yes, you get yourself experimenting with drugs, but then you're addicted. And, you, and it's not because you're choosing someone else over the drug. It's just the situation you put yourself in is really hard to get out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell that to my kids all the time, too. I'm like, you know, the, you never know, like, what 
genes you have right mm. in any situation in terms of like not knowing that it's better not to open some doors because you don't even know if that's mm-hmm. a gene that you're gonna have if you have the addictive gene you know so I you know they're, they're kids but I always like say you know that there's a lot of things that out there with the same with gambling or any other thing that can be addictive uh right now of course we all a lot of us are addicted to social media and and things like that too so um binge watching tv shows things Mm -hmm. to that extent too right but when it ends up getting to an extent that it's harming us that's also and harming or those around us that's when it's also dangerous but yeah but you're you're right like when they were trying to fill a wound of of a pain with something else too and um that that's when it that's when it's it just kind of sucks you in in that aspect too and like what it did for you for many years so you were eight it, when you're about then 18 when you found out your dad's real cause of death but then Correct. you were then how old when you it was just two, you're young so it was just two years ago that you went to to uh, meadows after your breakup right so you're mm-hmm. still in your you're in your 20s but the Correct. You're in your early twenties. I am mid twenties, unfortunately. Why, <laughs> unfortunately? Now I wanted Why? to stop. I wanted to stop. No. You to stop? I'm learning oh, so much wisdom. I'm learning so age, much. Yes. It does. It That's does. Thing. And and you've been through so much <laughs> in your young age that yeah, at, at in your mid twenties already now with how much you've lived, you know, you have already grown. A lot of times, people in those twenty years would have not grown as much as you have because they have would have not had the life experiences that you've been through in order to get them to grow to be who they are so um so you imagine like you've already like jumped a whole bunch of other years even ahead just because of the life experiences you've had exactly um, so mm-hmm. it's it's definitely uh, yeah I, I was Which just going to give so you so grateful for Yes. Yes. Kudos. Yeah. Because also too, like imagine now so early on in your own journey that you're now able to help others. So what then drew you? Because it's been only a a few years in which you got your seek your own your own um, help and got to turn your life around. How did that longing to keep on that basically breaking that cycle for others kind of come about? How did that? Yeah. How did that surface for you? So like I had said, after my relationship, I learned so much about myself that weren't some of the traits that I just did not want to have as a partner, such as anger. And a lot of anger was pent up from my father's passing. And I was take like they say, you take out all your anger on your partner, whoever's closest to you. Mm. So I was a complete B-I-T-C-H at times. And remember, I can, like, I can still put explicit on this too. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bitch. But it's okay. It's okay. No, you know, so, and at the same time, that's not who I am deep down. So I feel for the people I have been with and I have treated them certain ways because that's not who I am and they don't deserve to be treated like that. It was just hurt people hurting people and same vice versa from what I've dealt with, with other people hurting me. And I just wanted this whole thing to stop and put a stop to it after the worst breakup I just dealt with. That Therefore, after I did so much work on myself, I said, you know what? I want to prevent this from happening to other women. Even young girls, deep down, like deep down the road, I have um, idea of doing a nonprofit for young girls between 13 and 17, trying to 
plant that seed for them. But that's long-term. Now, what got me into coaching was just, I want to save people mentally and physically. Because father loss is so, it can be so detrimental to your health. And sometimes you just overlook it and look past it like, no, I'm totally fine. Because that's how I thought I was those 16 years. I said, I blocked out my dad's passing date. I have a full like rib tattoo. And with my dad's birthday and death date, I just learned my dad's death date this year, along with re-remembering his birthday. But that death date, even though that was tattooed on me, I just blurred it out, blacked it out for 16 years. So when people had asked, I would just say, uh, I don't know. So I just want to save people from that because even if you think you're okay, losing a parent to death or not even having a parent in your life, it really puts a toll on you. And it's okay to get the help you need. It's okay to address how you feel inside if you feel this void inside it's okay and that's so important for people to hear that and to hear that from a peer to to hear that from somebody that's been through it um it's that relatability that that really helps too um so that and and especially you being young the the goal that you have of being able to help these girls in that very vulnerable, informative age of, you know, 13 to 17, eventually the, having that nonprofit. I see that. I don't, you say that that's long-term. I see that maybe being something you could do <laughs> shorter term than <laughs> probably, probably shorter term. Think. Yeah. Probably. It's just because yeah. of what you've already accomplished even just in the, in the time being now. Yeah. But, um, because again, because you're not that far removed from be, having been that age when you're able to, help somebody that's just you know what basically just a little one generation older than you it just that's true it, it helps yeah <laughs> it helps exactly that relatability and it's um, not so much helping them entirely like healing them in an instant it's more so because I understand I, I was so hard-headed when I was 13 through 17 oh my god Thank, like I said kudos to my mother but uh <laughs> it's just the planting the seed my seed got yes. planted, I would say, later on when I was 20, in my 20s. But if I can plant a seed for these girls in their 13, between 13 and 17, they'll eventually remember that. If they're going to have a breakdown, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember Janelle had told me way back. You know what I mean? So that's just like my perspe- like perspective mm-hmm. of why I want to do what I want to do. Yes. No, that, that absolutely that absolutely makes makes sense and a lot of times too it's not the the healing people have to heal themselves and be willing to want to Mm -hmm. heal right so it's just providing again those seeds and the tools so tell aside from the tool then of you being able to go to the meadows is that what it's called Mm -hmm. meadows yes what other and your therapy what other tools have you used in your grief journey yourself so this one's a little common sense, but something I elaborate on a lot. I actually even made a video post about it yesterday. It's healing and grief is a journey. There's no des- There's no map from mm-hmm. point A to point Z because some days will be good, some days will be bad. You could have a great week and the next week 
you don't even want to get out of bed and that is okay. I feel like so many people are so hard on themselves like, well, I had a great week last week. Why? What What the hell is going on with this week? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But and I, and I was like that. I was hard on myself. I was like, why do I keep like, what is wrong? Why am I having great days? And then today I just, I'm so depressed. And I just elaborate just like what I had learned and something I tell my clients and just something I remind myself to this day is some days are going to be better than others, but grief is a journey. I always see grief in healing as waves and like some waves will be tidal waves and other waves will be waves that you can just jump over. But some days they're going to hit you and you're going to fall on the ground, but you just have to get back up. Yes, I completely agree. I was, I always see it as exactly what you're saying. The mm-hmm. ocean of emotion, the ocean of emotions. Oh, I like the, that. Uh, <laughs> the ocean of emotions. And yes, sometimes you could be at, on the beach. You're so like chill and it's calm and out of nowhere, <laughs> here comes a big one and you had no clue it was coming. And sometimes you don't even know that, what triggered that particular emotion exactly. in that moment. Yeah. Um, and you just have to be ready to just navigate it. I, I always say it's just harder when you just go against it than when you just go with it. Um, so uh, yes, just knowing that it's part of that journey. Now in that journey of that, of, of grief, um, share a little bit, like how different was it for you then with your sister? Do you notice a lot of difference in how, she could her being older and you don't have to go into her own story necessarily mm-hmm. but do you notice if there was a very different way in how you each process grief partly because of the age and also of course personalities that each of you were yeah of course I honestly I can't like I said I can't speak for her but I will mm-hmm. say that she seems to be doing quote-unquote fine I don't know if it was her age or she's has it really pent up inside her because she is in a she attracted a great husband. She has my niece who I love. And she's always attracted men who care so much about her and love her and are available for her. Which is so interesting, right? Because then that aspect of that percep- perception of the father, you know, still also the fatherless daughter, which she also is, how so much plays a part is who you are in that instant. So, Something happens, mm-hmm. but who you are, your personality, your traits, your, you know, those impact you differently depending on that, your age, so many things, right? Because here mm-hmm. are two women who experienced the same loss yet experienced it very differently. Exactly. And that's another thing why I like also elaborate on people can take trauma however way they want. No one's okay. trauma is worse than someone else's. No one's trauma is not as bad. That's why I say like you cannot define trauma because someone may perceive something that you think is easy. Whereas if you were in their situation, it would be complete opposite. Mm-hmm. So I'm huge Absolutely. on just, you know, everyone's going to feel certain ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being, it, it, it gives you more empathy, of course, towards that too, um, towards other people's experiences in their own way when you've gone through something yourself then Mm -hmm. you know that if somebody comes to you and they have a trauma about i don't know spiders i don't you know i'm just saying something that it's like that but for that person that could be as 
if it was that somebody's dying, you know? So exactly. it's, uh, yeah. So you, it's really hard to judge somebody else's hard, no, impossible to judge somebody else's uh, per- perception of their experiences and the way that they're seeing the world. Exactly. So what no excites you? Yeah. What it's, excites you about this new stage in your life? What excites you the most? Ugh, I love when people can just connect with me. When I create these videos and people are like, oh my God, I needed that right now. It just, it makes my heart full because I know this is my purpose in life and why I was brought to this earth. And I've done a lot of different trades throughout my life. And now I feel like this is exactly where I am in my life. So just hearing people's blessings and just hearing them, the reviews of what I post and how much it resonates with them and their what they're going through in their grieving journey. The confirmations that you're on the right yes. track. So you mentioned you'd been a realtor before. What other what other oh things have you done? I was an EMT for a couple years. And, and this is all again, again, people. She is in her mid-20s and she's all, <laughs> <laughs> all, all the different pivots and careers you've already had. So you're and, an EMT. Yeah, and then so EMT. when I was 18, I had uh, my own fitness business. And then from there, I decided um, I wanted to become a doctor. So I went to EMT to get field work. Then I decided entrepreneurship, which I love so much. Then got into real estate. And then I really, I was just trying to see what was working for me and where I felt at home. And after my, like I said, breakup, I really resonated and took a moment of my to myself and thought, what am I really here for? And now I'm here, but I have been through, you know, EMT, all of that brought like the sympathy and the caring, compassionate person you have to be to be an EMT. I wanted to be there, of course, to help people. But now I'm helping people with something I am so, let's say, I would say an expert on. <laughs> Yeah, is your you know because it's I didn't your, sign your up experience. for <laughs> expert expert experience. You've experienced it, so you are an expert exactly. in your in your experience. You're an expert for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody is in their own life. You're an expert mm-hmm. at your own experiences. Um, but yeah, you've definitely been through the circle of see of feeling the the. Um, all the things that could go wrong from bottling up your emotions and how it ended up coming out in a way that was not um, productive per se. And then then how it is now after you've already opened that lid of being mm. able to share your emotions and how now it just is flowing in a positive way to create impact. So what a what a big... 180 there in your life just from you know 18 of really that is that when you started to act out was more 18 or even beforehand uh I would say like 17 yeah yeah (laughs) so so from there to now you know just the big um big 180 now in terms of of your connection with your dad and so forth what are your spiritual beliefs and did did any of that fall into play in your own grieving experience mm-hmm. what did you grow up believing maybe about death and perceiving death and then or what do you believe in now yeah no of course so I grew up a catholic 
and then my mother had transitioned to Christian. And then I lost touch a little bit. Actually, a lot. I'm not going to lie. I lost touch a lot with just like being a teenager, doing my own thing. And then as I needed to find something to help me prior to me going to the Meadows, because I think I, I signed up for the Meadows and then I had to wait like two weeks or so. And I said, I can't do this on my own. And I went to a church, a Christian church near my house. And I've been there ever since. And that's something that's so huge for me. I always know that my loved ones are watching me and looking over me. But now I can, I feel like I can feel it more. Mm. And that's why it's so big. I always say people to have a higher power. If you're not, if you don't believe in God, that's okay. If you don't believe, but if you believe in the universe, just have some higher power that can help you and guide you through the process. I liked what you said. You knew that your you said I knew that my loved ones were there watching over me, but now I feel them watch the difference of even the knowing to mm-hmm. then actually the feeling that energy because of also how you are more connected uh, with yourself. So you feel their love and their support mm-hmm. now more than before because of that awareness. Exactly. And I think it's more just the compassion that I have mm. for my father. You know, he did the best they could. I say that with ev- like to everyone. If your parents, if you, if you grew up in a bad upbringing, just no matter how bad it is, like we just have to be compassionate and find the compassion within us and just realize we don't know what was going on through our parents' minds. Like we don't know who raised them, who like – the real deep core that they may not even be telling their kids. Because of course, a lot of parents want to be strong for their children. So we don't know the whole story. Yeah. To have that compassion for them. That that is so, so it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is really hard. It's really hard. Um, But yeah, but technically we are all children raising children, right? It technically, if we think of it, uh, you're not a parent yet, but um, I have, as I mentioned have to myself and the the thing that I'm bringing to the table and I see myself I see my 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 uh, teenage self a lot of times in this role as parent mm-hmm. um, and it's so immature oh my gosh like you know the rolling of the eyes comes into play sometimes and all these kind of things and I'm like what is up with this you know I'm a I'm a forty something year mom, and the teenage mom comes. You know that yeah, it's as if I'm a teen, teenager sometimes. So it, I'm still a kid inside too, and all whatever things I went through mm-hmm. uh, is a lot of times how I'm going to then parent. So um, so that is that that is interesting. I hope hope that they can have more compassion. You know, one of the things that I think I learn to in this journey is to be able to know like when they point out something that I'm doing that may seem like whoa why did you react like that like all I said is like what's for dinner and like I just blow out right what do you mean what's for dinner do you think I'm just in the kitchen all the time (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) that uh like is this a restaurant I'm like she's like I was just asking what was for dinner like you know (laughs) um and I'm so sensitive with things like that that then but being able to stop and say sorry that was definitely not the way I should have reacted being able to acknowledge that what I said was wrong and maybe 
how I said how I said it was wrong, and maybe being able to reassess of why it is that it's such a trigger for me, you know, mm. when they ask. And I've told them sometimes it's like you know it's like when you say it that way, it makes me feel like I'm just here like being your servant, you know that kind of that's how I feel when you ask me that way. I tell them that why it is I'm reacting, but that was still not the right way to react. So um, owning owning our faults and owning the things we mm. have to grow through is also important in the, in the journey, of course. Um, but I digress. I told you, I, I would, I also jump and talk about other stuff, didn't I? <laughs> mm-hmm. You did. You did, you did. I no, that jump. makes sense. I know, but you're, that's a perfect, your story is a perfect example of why it's so important to heal because when you're healing, you become more aware of why you do things and when you do things, you can actually stop yourself. Even if it's after you've already done the damage, <laughs> you can mm-hmm. still be like, wait a second, why did I flip mm-hmm. out? So it's so important because a lot of us just like how I used to be was in my past relationships. I used to just like go right off. One of my, ex, well, my ex, actually one of my ex, my ex most recent would say, you're like a bull in a China shop. And mm-hmm. now I understand, like I would just, go zero to a hundred and it's just that's not who I am I am such a compassionate loving person and I just should have approached things very differently I mean of Mm -hmm. course it is what it is and I forgive myself for how I acted in certain situations with certain people I have been with I'm nowhere near perfect but now I've grown so much that I can see and I'm like there's no need to yell Mm -hmm. I can still get my point across but just the it's just the way I'm presenting it, it's, and yeah, it's very if I'm it's attracting like coming from a hurt, now you don't react. Now that you know what the hurt is, uh-huh. you are able to maybe catch the trigger before you react because mm-hmm. you're able to know that it's coming from the wound part of you, right? Of how you're it's like, okay, how I'm going to react right now is going to come from this wound, wounded child place. Exactly. So how exactly. do I switch it? Yeah. And when we don't do the work, it's our, we're, we're children. It's children parenting mm-hmm. children or children mm-hmm. dating children. Mm-hmm. And no matter what age, it, people yes. can be 70s, 40s, and if they haven't healed their childhood trauma, they're still in that mentality of the little boy or the little girl. And it, it's... It's just because they didn't address it because they don't, Mm -hmm. some people don't even know, but do you know when they say sometimes man child or just sometimes like female acting like a little girl or adult Mm -hmm. female, it's because they really are. It's because they don't know better. And that's Mm -hmm. another reason why I want, I do my coaching is because to help heal that inner little girl. So she knows that everything's okay and that we're the parent now. And we won't leave her like so many people have left her. Hmm. That's just so beautiful that you (laughs) are now able to, yeah, to help others uh, be able to view and redirect. Can I ask you, like, how do you find the time so that you're not reacting? Like, now that you know the wounds, like, Mm -hmm. how... Do you like count to 10 before you respond to any situation? Like, how do you take that moment to redirect the way your body or your automatic pilot is going to 
Yeah, of course. Come out. Yeah. So I breathe. <laughs> I mm. never would breathe. I would just react like without even think. I would just react. And then I'm like, oh, why did I just say that? Like, I don't mean that. I love this person. Why am I so hostile to them? So now I just <sighs> take a deep breath if I need two breaths. And then I either talk or I say, let's get back to this conversation. Because right mm. now I don't want to meet. I don't want to say things I don't mean. This is a complete opposite person from who I used to be a year, a couple years ago. This is, but I do, of course, have slips. No one's perfect. And when I do, I actually made another video on this last week or two weeks ago. And it was how I address a trigger or how I tell my clients or coach just people in general how to address a trigger is when someone or something triggers you, I always address it and say, hey, what you said really triggered me. I would appreciate it if you just didn't say that or do that again, at least not around me. And they're usually like, okay, that's fine. And then I looked more into that and I'm like, why am I trying to control someone else they're doing. Oh, from I my own triggers? Yeah, yeah and I'm just like, uh-huh. it, and it came to me one day, like it, it came to me when I was down in Florida and I was just like, wait a second. I'm like, this makes no sense. Like I shouldn't be trying to control someone. I, need, I should be able to control myself and learn to control myself. So now what I do is I address it to the person, of course, so they are aware. And then as soon as that happens, I ask myself, what triggered me back in my past? Like what even caused this? Because I need to get to the root cause of this. That way I'm not telling every single person that I meet when they triggered me about the same that. thing that I told yeah. one person. I'm not uh-huh. repeating myself. You know, it's, it's best for to change ourselves than us trying to control how someone reacts because – we don't have control on how people are. People are the way they are, as we know. It's it could be from their past. It could be how who their partners are and what they adapted to. It could be anything. So, what better way than to control our own triggers? Mm-hmm. That that is so true because it's like yeah, you you are making everybody else walk on eggshells basically, <laughs> exactly. rather than you yourself saying, okay, why am I changing the world rather than me trying to change how I'm reacting to the world? Um, Because that is something I have control over. That is just so amazing. Now, you've mentioned your uh, videos. So this has been great. Thank you so much. So many, so many uh, little pieces of information and and um, tips that you've given in so many different areas that come, of course, much more than just about grief. And, um, and that has just been so helpful. Thank you. What can you share how they can find you? And I'll make sure to put it in the show notes, but how can people find you? Of course. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook, preferably Instagram is where I'm most active. And my name is Janelle Gorman. So it's at G E N E L L dot G O R M A N. And if you're interested in just talking to me, reach out, DM me. If you're interested in coaching, DM me. Um, I'm also starting a support group. It's called for ladies. It's called Happiness After Loss, and it's going to mm-hmm. be once a week, every Tuesday at 7:30 p.m. Eastern time, and it's free. And it's just a time for us to connect with other females who are in similar situations, who are also grieving a loved one. It could be a mother or a father, and just creating a space of comfortability and just a space to be ourselves and speak on how we're feeling an outlet I would say 
That is so good. Like a little girls' club there, a girl, a pajama party, uh, or some, some you know, yeah. a girls' club to <laughs> or <laughs> to be able to to go over those emotions and of other women that have experienced similar similar um, losses a, mm-hmm. as each other to be able to check in and see how you're feeling. Yeah, because a lot of times when you talk to somebody that hasn't been through something um, like you have there may not be necessarily that relatability or understanding of why is she talking again about her mom dying or why is she talking again about her exactly. dad? You know? um, exactly. Yeah. So knowing that there's a space which you can do that without that judgment component, that is really beautiful. So thank you so much. I'm excited for everything that will come. I'm sure of all these different opportunities. I'll definitely write your um, information below for people to contact you and Follow you, you on Instagram so and get these, again, some of the things you shared here, which were just free free information and tips that you post yeah, and on always, Instagram you know? there. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of free content out there. And of course, if you need deeper work, you can always connect to be able to coach. So mm-hmm. thank you once again, Janelle. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you were here. All <laughs> thank right. you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.